0: Good everyone. Happy Christmas or Happy New Year or whatever it is, we're wishing each other now. seems like an eternity ago that uh, Natani spoke to us on Revelation 8 and 9 but it was actually only last Sunday. Is it just me or has it felt like it's been months since then? But we're, this is our, actually our last week in the book of Revelation uh, for the moment. So in at the end of January, we'll come back to Revelation, and from next week, we'll be looking at the Psalms for a few weeks. Now I'll pray, and we'll look at these two chapters together Revelation 10 and Revelation 11. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you most of all for the wonderful message of Christmas that you've not left us in darkness, but you've sent your Son into the world to be our Saviour. But we also thank you for the opportunity to slow down, to spend time with family and friends. Uh, but we thank you now for the opportunity to spend time together as a church family here. And so we pray as we turn to your word now that you'll help us to understand it. Uh, as we know, this part of the Bible can be difficult to follow at times, so we pray that you'll give us clarity of thought. We also pray that you'll soften our hearts so that we're ready to listen and receive your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think uh, most people would agree that one of the biggest changes that's happened to society over the last 10 years or so is the rise of these smartphones. I was struck yesterday uh, at Christmas, well, the day before at Christmas, my mother, who I won't tell you her age, just in case she's listening in, uh, but uh, she was there on her smartphone. Though have you ever, if you, you notice how people over a certain age do it differently, use a different finger to people under a certain age. Anyway, I won't show you how I use it because then you'll judge me. But anyway, uh, these things have had all sorts of positive and negative impacts, So positively, it was great. People were able to see people who they were separated from at Christmas time because of these, you know, we're able to get on the phone and FaceTime people who couldn't cross borders or who couldn't come out of a retirement village or whatever it was, wonderful positives. There's also been a lot of negatives. Uh, And one of those negatives, I think, is that it changes how people wait. I don't know if you've noticed this But uh, if you look at a bus stop now or at a train station or a doctor's surgery, or if you're waiting for a coffee at a cafe, no one talks to one another anymore. No one interacts. There might be 20 people there, but every person, as soon as they see I've got to wait for more than 20 seconds, pulls out their phone and starts scrolling down their phone because there's something urgent on Facebook that they might've missed since they looked at it two or three minutes earlier. I've probably tempted you now to think, oh, hang on, maybe I should just check, just in case there's something, don't do that, please. especially if you're waiting for a coffee at the cafe. I used to talk to the barista but now everyone just turns away, looks at their phone and I find that especially sad when you see families there or groups of friends and while they wait, instead of talk to one another, they scroll down, I'm sounding like a really old grumpy man at the moment but anyway, (laughs) each person individually captured by their phone. Uh, Now I find myself doing that but now I purposely resist it it's really hard. Do you find this? You go and grab your phone and you, you've actually, you start shaking. You sort of, I, want I resist it because the reason I do is I find when I wait, when I'm forced to have nothing to do is when I actually have creative ideas. I have very few creative ideas in any one year. So I've got to really make sure I give myself the opportunity for them. Some of the best ideas I've had for church or for sharing the gospel with people or for preaching or whatever, come because I've had to wait for a train and I didn't have my phone. Or wait at the doctors and I didn't have my phone. But actually that question, what do you do while you're waiting, is actually the question that's at the heart of the book of Revelation. That's a question every Christian has to ask on a much bigger scale because we are in the time of waiting. That's what this period we are living in is. Jesus has come, he's done everything he needed to do to bring about his kingdom. He died for our sins, he rose from the dead, he's given us the Holy Spirit, he's defeated sin, death and the devil. But then that's not the end because Jesus promised that he will return, in the future he will return and bring in his kingdom once and for all. And so here we are, we're in what we call the in-between times, the time of waiting for His return, waiting for Him to come and bring about His new creation. And so that raises the question, what do you do with this life we have now? What do we do while we wait? And that's actually what the book of Revelation is all about. It's giving us these sort of continual pictures, one after the other, of this world we live in with all its pains and its struggles. So we had the six seals with all the struggles of this world and then the new creation, the return of Christ with the seven seal. This time we've had the six trumpets, it's Natani talked us through last week but then you get this picture of it at the end, the new creation and we're in the middle of one of those now. So last week chapters eight and nine, flick back there in case you've forgotten, we saw that this world is painful and broken that was the picture of chapters 8 and 9. It was incredibly sort of, uh, you probably felt sorry for Natani preaching his last sermon on on that chapter. Uh, These were the six trumpets blown, each one symbolically showing a different part of this fallen, broken world. Uh, So there'll be plagues, it said, there'll be earthquakes, there will be death. That was the picture. But then in chapter 11, go to chapter 11, we only read chapter 10, but we look in chapter 11 as well. From verse 15, we're given a picture of the end of heaven if you like when the seventh trumpet is sounded and if you look there at verse 15 it says then the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. See that's what we're looking forward to when things happen on earth as in heaven like when we pray the Lord's Prayer but then between those two pictures, chapters 8 and 9, pain and destruction of this fallen, broken world, chapter 11, the wonderful new creation, between them is this sort of little interlude in chapter 10 and the first half of chapter 11. And what it is, is a picture of the church now. It's giving us a, 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 an answer to that question, what happens to the church? What does the church do while we wait for Jesus to return? So I've broken it up into three headings, you should have an outline and they should come up on the screen. Uh, The first heading, each one is while we wait and the first one is while we wait we proclaim Christ and that's chapter 10 verses 1 to 11. So come with me to chapter 10, look at verse 1, it says, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun, his legs were like fiery pillars, And he had a little scroll opened in his hand. Now we'll get to that little scroll in a minute because that's the most important part of this chapter. But the picture here is of an all-conquering, totally in control angel. Uh, And if you remember last week there were armies of crazy locust type things that Natani described, remember that last week? Well I think the point here is yes, there's all that sort of stuff, yes there's chaos and pain in our fallen broken world but God is still in control. I think the idea is, the picture is, if this angel is for us, then we're okay. That's the picture you're meant to get. But then it says, the angel speaks with a loud voice, like a roaring lion. And it says, there were seven thunders, just like we've had the seven seals and the seven trumpets. Well, now there were seven thunders. But this time, we don't get to hear what these seven thunders reveal. Look at verse four. It says, and when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders said and do not write it down. And because Jesus, that's the voice from heaven, said that, for 2,000 years, what have people done? They have come up with theories about what the seven thunders were revealing. But I think to try to guess actually misses the point. The point here is, God is making it very clear I don't tell you everything, God doesn't tell us everything. We know more than enough to trust in Jesus and live for him, we know more than enough to look forward to Jesus' return, which is the point of the book of Revelation, but we don't need to know everything that God knows. And in fact, if you did know everything that God knows, your brain would probably explode. And we don't even actually need to know everything that John knows, or everything that the Apostle Paul knew, this is what we need to know. What's in the Scriptures? That's what we need to know, what's been written down for us. But what the angel does want us to know is there in verses six and seven, look there. He says, there will no longer be an interval of time, but in the days of the sound of the seventh angel, when he will blow his trumpet, then God's hidden plan will be completed as he announced to his servants, the prophets. The point is, this will not go on forever. There will come a time when there won't be any more of a gap. When Jesus will return, when the seventh trumpet is blown, like we saw in chapter 11, verse 15 before. Jesus will return. He will set up his kingdom once and for all and you will not have to wait anymore. See, the angel is saying, that's what you need to know. What you need to know is, everything God has promised will happen. Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to come to judge the living and the dead and bring in his kingdom. Keep waiting, is the point. It is going to happen. And that brings us to the little scroll the angel has in his hand. So come with me to verse eight now. And he says, now the voice that I heard from heaven, so that's Jesus himself speaking. Jesus spoke to me again and said, go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take and eat it. It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Now what's the scroll? The scroll is God's word to the world, to all people. The scroll is the message of the gospel. And John is told, you have to take it and eat it. It, it, But it's not just John, it's what we all have to do. We have to take God's word in so that we can then speak it out. This time, this waiting time, is the time for proclamation. That is the over and over and over again message of the New Testament. This time that we live in between Jesus' first coming and His second coming is the time for proclamation. God wants His Word proclaimed to all people so that all people can trust in Jesus before He returns. I don't know if you've ever chewed on a scroll of paper before. I remember when I was at school, we used to chew on paper I probably shouldn't share this, but then, and then throw it up on the ceiling. Did anyone else do that when they were in school? Only a few boys are honest and did, yeah. And you throw it up there, and then you've just got this whole thing, and they had a lovely name, they were called spitballs, that's what they were called. Uh, sometimes I buy breakfast cereal that tastes like I'm chewing on a scroll of paper. I find special K's like that, if you've ever bought that one. It tastes like you might as well eat the box. This scroll, it tells us though, is not like cardboard, it's actually sweet to the taste but then it says it has a bitter aftertaste. It's, it's sweet in the mouth, but makes you sick in your stomach. What's that about? What's he talking about? I think he's just talking about the gospel, isn't he? See, the Apostle Paul talks about it. he says, the gospel is the aroma of life to those who are being saved. It is the most sweet smelling thing you'll ever smell, but it is the stench of death to those who are perishing. And we know this is true when we share the message of Jesus with people, don't we? When we share God's Word, on the one hand, it is the sweetest message ever. God loves you. And God loved you especially by sending His Son to die for you. So you might know the forgiveness that, that you can have in Christ. If you believe in Jesus, you can be adopted as God's child. You can call God your Father. This message is as sweet as honey. But preaching it can bring bitterness too. In the ancient world, it was the claim that there is only one God, that it's only through Jesus that you can come to God. That's what offended people in the ancient world. They said, are you you saying my gods are a waste of time? Are you saying these idols I worship are just things made of stone and they can't do anything? And the answer the Christian said was yes and it offended people. Often today, it's the idea that we are sinners that offends people. People say, no, God should just love me the way I am. I don't need Jesus to save me. God should just, God should be thankful that I want to know him. Whatever it is, though, preaching the gospel will be both sweetness and bitterness. We will get both reactions. But that is our job, while we wait, to speak God's word to all the nations, to anyone who will listen. Yes, we have all things, we have all sorts of things to do. We have jobs to go and do. We, we, have, we can enjoy God's good creation, we, we seek to love people, all important and valuable things to do with our lives but fundamentally this time we live in is the time of proclamation. Our first goal is to see the message of Christ preached to everyone. But as we do, the bitterness will be constant. Some Christians seem to think you can preach the message of Jesus and everyone will still like you. Jesus could not manage that. The Apostle Paul couldn't manage that. The Apostle John was writing this on an island where he'd been sort of thrown into prison. They couldn't manage it. Why do we think we can? If you faithfully share the Gospel, sometimes people will respond negatively. And that's the point of chapter 11. Come there now, heading number two, while we wait, there will be terrible opposition. This is chapter 11 verses 1 to 14. Now, As I, I hope, as we've been studying Revelation, I hope you've been pleasantly surprised by how understandable it is. Uh, a lot of people said to me, it's not as hard as I thought, and that is great. So a few people said, oh do we really have to look at Revelation? I don't think I'll understand any of it. And a few people have come and said, oh it's actually been really good. But I hope you remember back when we started, I said, there are some parts that are really hard to understand. You remember I said that? And I said, we have to be ready to sometimes say, this is what I think it says, but I'm not certain. Chapter 11 is the great example of that. I'm a very self-confident person. It's not often I say, I'm not sure. If I'm 50% certain, I'll tend to go the whole hog and back myself. But sometimes you've got to be ready to say, I think this is what this part of God's Word is saying, but have a bit of humility about it. And that's what this is uh, a great example of. People have all sorts of different ideas, of what chapter 11 is talking about, I hope you've got it open to look at because we didn't read it before, basically what it is, it's a picture of a city, probably Jerusalem and John is told to measure the temple in that city and to count the number of faithful worshippers and then it says in that city there are two faithful witnesses who will declare God's word and do amazing things in God's power for a period of time, 42 months or 1260 days. And God will look after them while they do that, but then a beast will come out of the abyss and kill them. And people will mock them and their bodies will be shamed for a period of time. But then these two faithful witnesses will be raised from the dead and vindicated, while those that killed them and mocked them will die in a terrible earthquake. That is basically chapter 11, one to 14. Now, what is it talking about? Well, some people think it's talking about a real life story about two Christians who preached the gospel in Jerusalem and got killed for it. And that's certainly possible. John is telling their story as sort of an an example of that bitterness of preaching the gospel. Uh, There will be opposition. And so he uses all the picture language because the beast that killed them was the Roman emperor. He doesn't want to make it worse for for other Christians at that time. That's certainly a possible reading. Others think it's talking about Old Testament prophets, two Old Testament prophets, perhaps Moses and Elijah, who were persecuted for bringing God's Word. I think, though, chapter 11 is actually a metaphor for the church in the world. So please stick with me. Uh, As I say, I think this is the hardest part of Revelation. And I've picked it for December 27. But there you go. Uh, Just look from verse 1 says, then I was given a measuring reed like a rod with these words, go and measure God's sanctuary and the altar and count those who worship there. Now, by the time John wrote this, is, Jerusalem had been destroyed, the temple had been wiped out, there wasn't one stone on top of it. it's still destroyed. You can go to Jerusalem today and there is a mosque where the temple stood. But we know that in other places in the New Testament, we, God's people who trust in Jesus now, we are called God's temple. So I think he's saying here, go and measure God's people, count God's people on earth. This is my people I want you to take care of, look out for, my church. And when he talks about his two witnesses in verse 3, he then says, look at verse 4, He says, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And you remember back in chapter 1, if you don't remember, flick back to chapter 1. Remember what the lampstands were in chapter 1? The lampstands, it said, represent God's churches. And you can look this up later, but in the Old Testament prophet Zechariah in chapter 4, the olive trees there represent God's word going out to the world. By his spirit. So I think these two witnesses are meant to be two faithful churches who are willing to keep telling people about Jesus even in the face of real opposition, whatever the world throws at them. Now it's then really hard to know what each of the symbols is referring to, but it seems to be saying God will protect these faithful churches while they do great things, perhaps through the power of prayer, but eventually they will be wiped out, they will be killed, they will be mocked. Now as I say, whether John was talking about the actual experience of two Christian martyrs back in the first century, whether he was talking about Old Testament prophets or whether I'm right and he's speaking about what will happen to some faithful churches throughout time, either way what it's showing us is that preaching the gospel will be hard. That's the big point of it. Christians will be persecuted if we stand up for Jesus. And whether that persecution is low grade, like we're starting to see here in Australia now, you know, pressure to accept sin and call it good, uh, pressure to, to not stand up for what is right, pressure to stay quiet about Jesus, or whether it is what these first Christians face, where they were jailed and tortured and put to death, We should not expect that the gospel will just be accepted by everyone with open arms as the good news we know it to be. That's the point here. Don't be shocked if you are faithful, if you love people enough to share Jesus with them. Don't be shocked if some people respond negatively. And I wonder if that's why there are only two lampstands here. Do you remember back in chapter 1 how many lampstands were there? There were seven. There were seven churches but I wonder if this is saying only two are actually going to keep the gospel. Only two are going to keep faithfully witnessing rather than all seven from back in chapter one. Because sadly many churches and many individual Christians for that matter say it's all too hard. I like the Jesus idea but I don't like the idea of people not liking me and they cave into the world, they change the message, they try to remove the bitterness from the message of the gospel. And sadly, that is the history of the church over the last 2,000 years. Not all buildings with a cross on them actually preach the gospel. In fact, many don't. Not all people who say, I am a Christian, are willing to stand up for Jesus. And that's when we need to hear another slightly apocalyptic word from Jesus. In Mark chapter 8, it should come up on the screen. Mark chapter 8 from verse 34, Jesus said if anyone wants to be my follower he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels I think they are the most sobering words Jesus ever said he says if you're ashamed of me I will be ashamed of you if we are ashamed of Jesus in the face of persecution or antagonism or just low-level mockery and scorn like you get in Australia, then Jesus will be ashamed of us. To follow Jesus is to say, I am with Jesus and I don't care what you think. That's what it is to follow Jesus. It's To say, I'm with Jesus and I don't care what what you think about that. So why would we do it? Why would you stay faithful to Jesus? Why would we keep proclaiming Christ, even if people respond negatively? Well, for one, many people will not respond negatively. We here are examples of people who heard the message of the gospel and said, that is the sweetest news we've ever heard. How can I not follow Jesus? That's one reason why you stick with Jesus, whatever happens, because we know it is a sweet message. But the other is my last point. So point number three, while we wait, we look forward to glory. And this is chapter 11, verses 11 to 19. See, whoever these two faithful witnesses were, and however horrible their earthly fate was, something marvelous happens in verse 11. Look there. It says, But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet. And then verse 12, it says, Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. They went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. And then it describes a horrible judgment that will happen to the people who'd rejected and killed them. Now, I'm not sure if this is talking about what will happen when Jesus returns, if it's talking about the final resurrection day, when we will all be raised from the dead and have a place in his kingdom forever, or perhaps it's talking about our soul or our spirit going to be with the Lord when we die. In the end, both of those things are true, if you trust in Jesus. But the point is, if you stick with Jesus, you will be vindicated. That's the point if you stick with Jesus, you win. Even if this life is full of pain and suffering, we will be raised from the dead to spend eternity with him. And when the seventh trumpet sounds, that is when Christ returns in glory, we will get to be a part of God's wonderful eternal kingdom. Look at verse 15 again. When the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And so the point is, and this has been the point of Revelation every week so far, just in case you've missed it. The point of Revelation is, stick with Jesus. That's the point. Stick with Jesus. Keep following Jesus. Keep proclaiming Jesus. Do not give up. No matter how hard this life gets, no matter how much opposition you face, do not give up because being a part of Jesus's eternal kingdom is worth it. That's the point of the book of Revelation. And so I pray you believe that, and I pray that you never forget it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that in this fallen, broken world, we will face suffering and pain, and we will even face opposition just for claiming the name of Jesus and seeking to share it with others. But we pray that we will never give up we will keep trusting Christ because we look forward to that day when the seventh trumpet blows when Christ returns and when you bring about your new creation here on earth and we pray this in Jesus name amen